Good morning. And again, welcome uh, to Cornerstone. You're in part five of a summer sermon series uh, on the doctrine of the church or DNA of the church. Today is where do I fit in me, ecclesiology. I've been trying to use that little pun this whole time, and finally it, it, it fits. Where do you fit in ecclesiology, which means the study of the church, me, ecclesiology. There we go. Finally got it. Nailed it. Uh, these past few months, especially if you've been visiting, or if you're visiting today, um, we've been looking at this. What does it mean to be the church? Who is the church? What is the church called to do? And the basis or the premise for our understanding has come directly and really only from the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, last night, um, my daughter Violet, uh, she just turned six, not, not last night, but recently, and she made her first cake. Um, it was good. It was actually it was really, really good. And... Uh, she was boasting about it, and in a good way. She was so happy. She wanted to make Mommy and Daddy and Mary, who was sleeping, a cake. Um, and she did, and it came out perfect. And the reason that it came out so well is because she followed the instructions. Right? That's how she did it. I said, do you know why it turned out so well? She said, yeah, well, I read the ingredient. I read, well, she couldn't read, but she was told what to do. I read step by step. And I asked her. It felt like a very teachable moment. Could you have made that cake without the instructions? She said, well, no, of course not. Yeah, that's right. There's a parallel to the Bible in that. And the instructions that God has set for us and for humanity and for this series, the church. And I don't know if I want to use the word successful as in baking a cake, but more faithful as in following Christ as Lord. How can we do it well if we don't follow the instructions that he set for us? So that's the basis, that's the premise of our understanding. That's why every Sunday we look at the Word of God and, and we ask God to help inform us through His prophets and apostles and teachers, how do you want your church to be? What do you want us doing, Lord? How can we be faithful to you who have redeemed us through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, who have given us new life through your Spirit They'd be lost without it. So, we established early on that the church, by definition, means to gather together a congregation to assemble with one another, and especially on the Lord's Day. We've seen that the church is called to observe two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The church, when we turn to Acts 2 and see the church developing and what they're doing and their practices. We've seen that the church should be a people who devote themselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word, to building community and fellowship with those in their local church. 
And we should be a people who commit ourselves to prayer, to giving, and to worship. In the following weeks, we're going to take a look at the two main, well, the two offices of the church, deacon slash deaconesses. So that'll be next week in case you're intrigued to why I keep smirking every time I say deaconesses. And elders will review their qualifications as well as what their roles are in the local church. So the two offices that we read in the New Testament, elders and deacons, what are their qualifications and what are they supposed to be doing? Today, however, we're going to examine the New Testament in order to see what's everybody else's role in the church. And Lord willing, not only will we figure that out, but we'll also see that every role, not just elders, not just deacons, but every single role is just as important and just as needed in the church as an elders or deacons. It's a good time to insert the gospel because what this sermon series is not meant to convey is that being baptized or partaking in the Lord's Supper as we just did or devoting yourself to preaching and teaching of God's word, reading the Bible, devoting yourself to prayer, giving as much money to the kingdom of God as you possibly can, devoting yourself to fellowship, becoming a deacon, becoming an elder, none of those, not one, save you. None of them earn you favor with God. The only thing that earns you favor with God is Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life and bled on the cross to receive your punishment, to receive our punishment. Our identity is not found in being an elder or being a, a faithful servant of, in, of, uh, in the church. It's not found in being baptized. It's not found in the Lord's Supper. Those are things that we do, but our identity is found in Christ alone. We have to establish that because you don't become the church without coming through the way of Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith in his death and resurrection. Number one. Point of application, be a committed member of a local church. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed 
the parts in the body. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Heavenly Father, God, the verse uh, that continues to uh, stick out, is that Paul says in verse 18 that you are the one who placed the parts in the body of Christ, the members in the body of Christ, that every single one of them has been determined by you just as you wanted them to be. God, help us to be faithful, to recognize that, acknowledge that, and respond to that, and become a faithful member in the local church where you have not only placed us, but given us a role to serve in it. Lord, we pray that we would do this to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, oops, oh, maybe I didn't, okay. Be a committed member of a local church. For the visitors today, I have no idea your affiliation with a local church back where you're from, but but I know there'd be nothing more encouraging, depending where you're at, to come back and for your church to know, to see you faithfully every Sunday on the Lord's Day. And to serve faithfully, to build up the body of Christ. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, Paul doesn't say to become a member of church, Right? He says, you are a member. He makes the point that when we were born again by the Spirit, baptized into one body, we became a member of Christ's body. And it was God, Paul says, who determined which part of the body we would be. Verse 18. In other words, the Spirit baptized us into the church as a member of Christ's body. And God chose how each one of us would serve the church as a member. It's interesting that that, that we see that God determined how we would serve the church, and as Jacob read from Ephesians 2.10 today, not only did he prepare how we would serve, it says God prepared the good works in advance for us. It's passages like this in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that, 
that make me wonder, hopefully make you wonder, how anyone is able to sustain or substantiate a claim that Christianity is meant to be lived outside of the local church. And becoming a member of a local church, body of Christ, according to this text, is a work of God. Paul says it's God's doing. It's God's choosing. Which implies it's the will of God for us to be committed to a local church. And yet there, there's still evangelicals, there's still Christians who, who will argue that they don't need to belong to a specific body of Christ. That's what I mean by local church. And so instead they live as an amputee. Which means they live their Christian lives how they see fit without ever submitting themselves or their families to the local church or to a local church. And we can ask each other, we, we, we can look at the text, does anything in the text here in 1 Corinthians look even remotely close to Christianity being taught as an independent religion or lifestyle? No. No, in fact, I'd even submit that, that the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures purposefully use the metaphor of a body so that we don't think that we should live in isolation. So, so if we say, no, I can do this walk on my own, the word of God reminds us, no, silly, you're part of the whole body. An amputee can do nothing. Or the amputeed, the ampu, you get the point. An arm that's no longer attached just lays there. Pastor, I'm part of the universal church. It's the objection. And I'll submit to that. That's true. But I'm, but I'm going to push back also. Because if it's the case that the church that's being referred to is only universal, then what does Paul mean when he says the foot cannot say to the hand, I don't need you? And in context, Paul is refuting the notion of the more prominent parts of the body telling the lesser or weaker parts of the body that they aren't needed. But loved one, that doesn't mean that the lesser parts right, can tell the body or more prominent that it doesn't need them either. What Paul's saying and the word of God is saying is that we need each other. And no matter if we say we're part of the universal church, we still have to submit that Paul says, look, we are all some specific part of Christ's body that has been determined by God. Which, which brings up the next question. If you're a member of Christ's body, what body of Christ are you a member of? Look at verses 25 and 26. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have Equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Loved ones, if we're, if, if we're going to subscribe to universal church only ecclesiology, who are you concerned for? And who in return is concerned for you? Who are you suffering with? 
And when you suffer, who is there to share in your affliction? How can they rejoice with you if there is no one you gather with to show honor? I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves and take a true reflection on what the New Testament is teaching, we can admit that God expects us to become involved in the context of the local church, not just universal. Therefore, application is we should wholeheartedly commit ourselves and families to one. To find a healthy church with a healthy leadership and just dig in faithfully, commit. Verse 21, we need each other, right? We need each other. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, verse 22, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're indispensable. Just a few quick implications from these verses. Number one, a church is not intended to run on elders alone. Number two, a church is not intended to run on deacons alone. Number three, a church is not intended to run on the same people always doing the same things alone. Every single one of us should be involved in the ministries at Cornerstone. If this is our local context. Whether or not you're a pastor, a deacon, you make coffee every Sunday morning. Paul says, look, your, your role is just as important as all the others. In fact, uh, even about those weaker ones, Paul says, you're indispensable. So, so in other words, Paul's implying, look, the person cutting up the bread for the Lord's Supper, he's just as valuable as the person serving it to the congregation. The person who greets every person who enters the building is just as valuable to the church than as the ones who are making the visitations weekly. The one who spends time in prayer throughout the week, praying for the sermon, praying for the church, praying for the elders, praying for the deacon, praying for the entire body. It's just as critical to the ministries of the church and the health of the church as the one who delivers the message. The word of God says, you and your work are necessary and invaluable. It's really only pride that thinks contrary to that. Pride is a chaotic mess. Because not only can pride make us feel that our job is not as important as everyone else's, pride is also able to lead us to a desire that our labor would be viewed as more important than everybody else's. The word of God, though, is the great equalizer. He says you need each other. It doesn't matter what you do. And you should be doing it to the glory of God anyway. The Bible says, oh, it's oh, good you think you're a big shot preacher, huh? Yeah, how many reviews have you received on the internet about your phenomenal preaching? Zilch, right? Yeah. Well, how many reviews have you received about greeting people? We've received multiple. Correct. Well, then ask a question. Who's going to be there listening to that preaching of God's word if nobody feels welcome to come? 
Fair enough. Loved one, don't just take my word for it. Let the word of God convince you that you are just as valuable to this gospel ministry as I am or anyone else. I know it doesn't always feel like that. That's just pride. In fact, you want to know how valuable I think I am? Sorry, that came out wrong. I'm valuable in Christ. We established that at the beginning of the sermon. But I'll let you in on a little secret. One of the many reasons, but, but a large contribution, contributor to why my family and I accepted the call to serve here. It was because you didn't need us. You were doing fine without us. Sure, you needed a man to, 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 to fill this role of a main preaching, teaching elder. But you didn't have an unhealthy view of me or my role as a man who would have to just steer the entire ship or an unhealthy view as many churches have that the pastor is supposed to do all the spiritual labor. Loved ones, it doesn't matter if you make coffee, cut up bread for the Lord's Supper, meet or greet, visit the sick, pray with someone. Every labor that the church does is spiritual labor. I wanted to go to a place where we believe the church knew what my role was. I understood my role and understood the church's. For the life of me, I, I, can't, I can't remember who said it, but they, they made the point that if our churches could not function, <laughs> could not go on if we left, something is wrong. It implies that if one of our members leave, move away, go somewhere else, and multiple ministries of the church have nobody capable to do them, nobody to fill in the gaps, we've, we've committed an error. And we have allowed only a few people to do all the work that God has allotted for each and every one of us to take part in. The church is not a one-man show. It is not a four-man show. The entity of the local church is intended to be an entire group of Christians who all serve in different capacities to the glory of God. Your glory is my glory, and my glory is your glory. We do it for his glory. Verse 26 says, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. When one member is praised, Paul says, so are all the others. Your glory is my glory. My glory is your glory. So, so when, when, of, when one of you any of you is honored, the entire church is supposed to rejoice because it, the entire church was involved. Let me give an example. Maybe you liked a specific sermon I preached. That's good. My daughter Mary prays for that now on a regular basis. So do many of you. But while I was busy preparing a sermon, our musicians were busy practicing music in order to prepare our hearts for worship. 
And while they were practicing music, others were preparing the Lord's Supper or maybe making food for fellowship hour next week. Others setting up tea and coffee for our regular Sunday setup. And while we were all busy doing that, somebody was in the back setting up the computer so that our technology would run smoothly and, Lord willing, without distractions. And while that was taking place, it provided an opportunity for others to welcome and greet those who came to worship today. And others set up chairs, took out trash, helped care, watch over our children. So therefore... If any of us receive praise, all of us receive praise. Here's a challenge, though. It's maybe something to think about. Those jobs, that's not an exhaustive list of every ministry we have throughout the week at Cornerstone. But just imagine for a moment, here's the challenge. If week in and week out, all of those jobs were being done by the same few people. Loved ones, taking a role, no matter how small it may seem, in a church would relieve some of the burden from those who have multiple roles. And it would relieve more of a burden than you can possibly even imagine. It may not seem like much to help out with what may appear to be just a few smaller needs. But I assure you, to those who are doing a lot, it does not feel small to them. The implication, share in the work, share in the glory. Application, find a ministry or a need in our church and commit to it. Our next point, I guess, is that the, the ministries of the church, they're to be done by you. Point two, serve the local church with a Christ-like heart. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, verse 12, underline, yeah, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and blown there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together can't be an amputee by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work Paul says Christ himself himself it's emphatic Christ himself Gave the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? Verse 12, to equip his people, the church, for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. It implies every, 
Every one of us should be serving at Cornerstone. Every Christian should be serving in the context of a local church. I think it's pretty straightforward, I think. Now, verse 16, as each part does its work, each part is supposed to have a work to do. I see a couple observations just in Ephesians 4 here. Number one, our goal as elders is to equip the members for works of service. Number two, the works of service you're supposed to be equipped for is intended to build up the body of Christ, i.e. the church. So in other words, it's our job as pastors, elders, overseers to equip you to help you complete your ministries. The obvious point is that you're the ones who are supposed to be doing the ministries, right? And the works of service, here's an interesting observation, the works of service that you're supposed to be involved in, Paul says, are ministries serving and building up the church. Now, are, are we supposed to have ministries extending from the church into the community? Yes. Every local church should be a light in their community. And we'll get into that into our final point. But the emphasis here is that the church was given pastors and teachers in order to equip you for works of service that are directed at the body of Christ, that are directed at the church. Therefore, the application remains the same. Find a need at Cornerstone and fill it. Do it. Of course... It may be that you haven't figured out yet where you fit into the body of Christ, where you fit in a cornerstone or your local church. You read Romans 12, starting in verse 6, we, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And you think to yourself, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't, I don't even know if I possess any of these. You've read through 1 Corinthians 13, like, I don't know if I have that. Or 12. Maybe you're waiting for someone to come along and say, hey, I think this is your gift. But nobody's come to you yet. And therefore, you remain stagnant because you think you have nothing to offer the church, loved one. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And you don't need to know what gift it is in order to get started. Let me suggest a, what I think is a helpful advice from one of my mentors, Tom Schreiner, who said, in relation to gifts and serving the church and figuring out what those are, he said, don't worry about knowing how God has gifted you in order to serve. Just find a need in your church. Start serving and then let the church be the one who affirms your gifts. I'm going to say that one more time because that's probably the best thing of the sermon right there that he said. Don't worry about knowing how God has gifted you. Just Find a need in your church, start serving, and let the church be the one who affirms your gifts.
Furthermore, it's, it's easy to tend to think that serving the church is, is supposed to be done with all these mighty spiritual gifts. But may I suggest the Bible speaks of serving the local church in other ways than just those. For instance, this is where we serve the church with a Christ-like heart. Continuing on in Romans 12, starting at verse 9, still in the context of the church, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do you want to be a faithful member of the body of Christ? Commit to serving the church in any need they have and serve the church with this posture of heart. This is pleasing to God. In fact, if you want to be like Christ, if you want to be like Jesus, a good verse to memorize is Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man, the Son of God, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit who was born of a virgin, assumed flesh, who rules the universe, sustains the universe, created the universe, did not come to be served, but to serve. To the point to give his life is a ransom for us. When the heart of a church seeks to serve and not be served, that is a body of Christ who has the heart of Jesus. And then we get to the, the, to the outreaching ministry. Point three, fill the earth in his glory. Whoops. Fill the earth with his glory. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's familiar, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Drift with me for a moment. There's, there's a striking resemblance to the commands at the creation mandate in Genesis 1 and the Great Commission here in Matthew 28. In Genesis 1, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Fill the earth and have dominion over it. In other words... In Genesis 1, humanity was created with the intention to spread the glory of God across the world by being his faithful representatives. 
you're familiar with Greg Beale, he points out or says, well, he says, yes, humans fill the earth by multiplying, procreation. But, but what are the humans? What, were, what does God say? What did he create human beings in? They're image bearers. They were created in the image of God. They're image bearers of their creator. And therefore, when those image bearers reign over creation faithfully, righteously, in love, they fill the entire earth with his glory. Of course, we know that wasn't exactly how it played out for humanity. In the Garden of Eden... They don't fill it with his glory that already exists there. Instead, they seek their own glory. And that one sin led to the need and promise of a new creation. The new creation began when Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came down and gave birth to the church. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we've been made new creations in Christ. Therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And now we, the church, the new creation, are given similar instructions to fill the earth as image bearers. However, now... The image that we are to represent is Christ, Jesus. You see, in connection to Genesis 1, we were created in the image of God and made to be his image bearers. But now through the rebirth and new creation, we've been recreated to bear the image of Jesus. So therefore, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells the church, go forth. Go and make disciples of me. Proclaim the glories of my death and resurrection to the ends of the earth. Fill it with my name, with my glory. When you do, those who repent and believe in me, add them to the church and teach them to obey everything I have taught you. And know this and remember this. Wherever the gospel spreads, so does my glory. Wherever a gospel-centered and Christ-exalting church exists, is where the glory of God, the glory of Christ resides. Ultimately, the answer to me, ecclesiology, to where do I fit in the church, it's answered with our entire purpose of existence, what we've been created for, what you were created for. We were created and we exist to bring glory to God. You're created for that purpose. In church, we do that by following Christ. And obedience. We do that by following the instructions of how to build, grow, have orderly 
effectiveness in our local church, how to serve it well, serve it faithfully, and bring glory to God by proclaiming Christ crucified, because that's the only message that we have. It's the message that saves. We don't offer a whole lot outside of that message. And we, we labor. We labor together. And we labor together to build upon the church in our community. And we labor together to help build other churches in other communities across the world. Because the local church in any community is the only place on earth where the broken and the ruined can come and see what the kingdom of heaven is like. Loved one, the local church is the blossom which was planted by the seed of the gospel. Look at Jesus' ministry on earth as he's casting out demons, as he's healing lepers, as helping paralytics be able to walk again. What is he doing? He's not just doing mercy ministries. He's saying, look, my death and resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Spirit, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. There's no longer going to be lepers. There's no longer going to be demons. There's no longer going to be sin or pain or sorrow. None of that will exist. Here is a glimpse. And now Christ says to the church, you be that glimpse for this unbelieving, broken world. You be the glimpse of the heaven of God, the kingdom of God. big goal, but we can do it with easy instructions. Submit yourselves and your family to the local church. Live with them. Serve them. Serve in that community of believers to the glory of God. And one day, the glimpse that we see of a Christ-centered community now will be seen in all of its fullness when our master returns. Let us pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I know for one, and I'll probably speak for many, Lord, we are awaiting the return of Christ from a broken and fallen world, Lord, that looks completely out of control, that we have to continually meet together and remind one another that nothing is out of your control. In fact, everything has been ordained by you, even the suffering of the Son of Man on the cross. And we take that theology, that all things are planned, all things are foreknown, all things are done by you, Lord. And we see that that even works its way intricately into the church to say, yes, I've planned your redemption, but I've also planned the way that you serve in the church. I've planned that you become a member of the church. God, help us to trust you in all things, Lord. Not just to be faithful in the big things, but to truly just take ownership of the, of the small things, Lord, that, that seem so simple or so easy or, or redundant to repeat. God, help us do it and help us do it well so that your glory would rise as incense here in Leavenworth, wherever the visitors are in, 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 in B.C. and the other, wherever the other ones are at, and just the entire, in Zimbabwe, Lord, and the places that, that we are trying to help reach, Lord, that your glory would go throughout the entire world. God, you are the only one worthy of that type of glory. 
And we ask that that would be done in Jesus' name. Amen.